This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I miss the uh, traditional hug, Darren, after he introduces you moment. Long distance from here. Love you guys dearly. Darren and Wendy, as he said, become, we've become dear friends over the years. We met these guys like a decade ago. And uh, wow, it's amazing what God is doing in the earth today. You understand a year ago, some of you didn't know why you're alive. And now, some of you are realizing, wait a minute, I was born for this moment. It's interesting because we have a hard time discovering our identity in the midst of comfort. It's easy to be at rest and just enjoy life in the midst of comfort. But the minute that we face a challenge globally and people are crying out for answers and you come to a realization that the answer lives in you and you're invited into an intimate connection with the one who wants to actually become the word made flesh through you to deliver from within you a river that flows to change the landscape of the world around you, then you suddenly begin to realize, oh, I know why I'm alive now. Some of you will just go back and listen to that one line again. That's all you'll need for this entire morning. I want to introduce a few people to you today, and, and I'm going to do it throughout the course of the service today. But uh, first, I want to introduce you to my wife, Tracy. Tracy, come here. Do we got a handheld we can borrow? This one here? I met this girl when we were five years old, actually. True. We were married 29 years this year. And uh, yeah, I just want you, last time I was here, you weren't with me, so... Just take a moment and greet, yeah, greet everybody. Hello. Give it a second. Uh, uh, thanks. I don't know how to work these things. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to be with you guys again. I love you, Darren and Wendy. Thank you for your hospitality. And, uh, and just the spirit, I can feel it, you know, in worship, the whole cry throughout worship. You know, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I just yeah. want to sit here at your feet. And that's really been the cry of my heart through this whole year. And I think for most of you, uh, as 2020 was coming, we got excited about 2020. And we're declaring things like, it's a year of vision, it's a year of clarity, and we're expecting great things. And I know those great things are coming, but it came in a way we didn't expect. And it's almost as if we've been required to see things that we never wanted to see. And I think that... Through that, that's where the clarity and the vision is going to come. So good. Um, lots of brokenness. Uh, from, you know, the issues of racism, to uh, which I'm discovering. I'm reading about the roots of racism in the church. I'm learning so much there uh, from that issue to this pandemic, to the mask wearing and people arguing, even within the church. Like, people arguing. Like, well, you don't have enough faith. Well... Well, if you did, you know, if you really want to protect people, you're wearing a mask. You know, it's this back and forth, and there's all these arguments, and it's really broken my heart a lot. Honestly, I, I just feel like that cry, you know. Jesus, I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to hear what you're saying. And it's enough of the back and forth. Like, there is one prayer that Jesus prayed, you know, in in John 17 that's been big on my heart for the last few years. And that was his prayer for our unity. He prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And he said, so that the world may know that you sent me. And so that's the cry of my heart is like, can we as the body just sit at the feet of Jesus? The one who gave it all, the one that he doesn't owe us anything, but the one thing that he prayed for, we have the power to give him the answer to that prayer, is to be one. And so that's the cry of my heart. And um, so it blesses me to be in an environment like this, where that cry is coming out in the worship, lifting him high. And I know um, Darren and Wendy carry that same desire. It's like, let's let the world know, you know, who he is. 
that God sent him, and we're going to do that. He said they'll know by the love we have for one another. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if we all believe the same thing. It doesn't matter what your political labels are. The labels don't matter. Our job is to love one another. And he said as much as it's possible to be at peace with all men. Mm. He did not say people that believe like you do. It's just to be at peace with all. And so I'm just really happy to be here because I know this is a place where that can come true. Yeah. So thank you. Amen. Wow. I'm just chuckling because you feel it, right? Because there's something about revelation that just happens up here. I, I'm telling you right now in this moment, there's an invitation to an intimacy with the heart of God where if you can fog a mirror, you could get up here and preach the gospel. Even if you don't think you've got anything to say. It's true. Some, uh, I know some months ago you had a dear friend of mine, Walter Heidenreich, come in from Germany from Help for All Nations in Germany. And Help for All Nations has a base here in the United States. It's in Austin, Texas. And for the last five years, another dear friend and uh, daughter of Tracy and mine, just, we've adopted her whether she wants it or not. We're like, you know, we're just, so um, I'm going to have her come and share for a little bit. She just came to visit us and I brought her down with me. Marisha, come and join me. You guys welcome my friend Marisha. Do what you do. Hello, everybody. This is my first time in this area of Florida, and I'm really, really happy to be here. It's so good to meet you, Darren and Wendy, and to see everyone else. I bring you many greetings from Germany. That's where I'm from. And also from the nations. We have bases all over the world. And God is moving. God is moving all over the world. God is moving whether we see it or not. God is moving whether we want it or not. He is at work. Just in Germany alone, so much is happening. So many people, especially in the streets of the cities of our country, are having a radical encounter with God and are coming to faith, especially many Muslims. I don't know if you've heard about that or what you've heard about that, but within the last few years, there's such a powerful movement of the Holy Spirit among, among the Muslim people in Germany and all over Europe. I personally have one friend. He's a pastor in Düsseldorf. That's a bigger city in Germany. And just he alone in his church over the last few years, every year has baptized 1,000 Muslim men. And that doesn't count in their families, their wives, their children. <laughs> yes, God is at work. And we just need to open our eyes to see it. I grew up in a community in Germany where Walter, who preached here a few years ago, I think, um, is the leader of. And so I grew up in community life. I grew up in mission life. I grew up in the presence of the Holy Spirit and the atmosphere of revival. I did my first mission outreach when I was just barely two years old to the Philippines with my family. When I was three years old, I gave my life to Jesus. It's my first childhood memory that I remember. At the same time, I also got baptized with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues. Changed my whole life, even though I was so small. I still remember I felt and I saw life and people and situations differently than before. And then I did another mission outreach when I was six with my family to Mongolia. And we always lived together with around 20 people, people who were working, but also people that we took in from the streets, from the prison that came out of drugs. So I really love your focus also on community and on the homes. And um, I was always living with Jesus and following him and really loving him all throughout my teenage years. I did mission outreaches and was leading and initiating things. And uh, really had a heart for God and for the kingdom of God. And then I moved to another city uh, some, hours ago, some hours away to study. I went to university. I got involved politically and uh, somehow God opened a lot of doors for me in that area. Then I also started an organization in Germany to help disadvantaged children. And then at the end of my studies... I was pretty exhausted <laughs> because I did so many things and so many good things, but I did it all in my own strength. I didn't realize it at that time, but I realized that at the end of those three years, I was doing so many good things, but I was actually doing it on my own. I was taking Jesus with me, but I didn't do it through him, 
I did it in my own strength. So I was pretty exhausted and tired, and I had many open doors of what I could do after my degree and all, but I didn't really know, God, what do you want me to do? What are you saying? What is the next thing for my life? Because I don't want to do something good and miss the best. And so then I, long story short, because I only have a few minutes, I went to California. God told me to go to California for three months to serve there with a missionary community. I've been there the first time when I was 16, went by myself for six weeks just to serve with them. And the Holy Spirit really started speaking to my life when I was there. All throughout my life, I was walking with God. But this was the first time in my life when I really came to a point of surrender when I really came to a point where I understood and lived out what it actually means, started to live out to be a disciple of Jesus. Because the beginning of discipleship is, leave it all behind. Come, follow me. That's the beginning. <laughs> so often we think, okay, Jesus, I try this out. I start following you. I start going to church. And then maybe here and there I surrender something. But it's actually not the original model. The original model of when Jesus called the disciples was in order to follow him, without knowing where they would go, without knowing even what they would be doing, they had to leave everything behind. And so Jesus started asking me, the Holy Spirit started speaking to my life in a very radical way. Marisha, would you be willing to leave behind your family, your friends? Marisha, would you be willing to surrender the question of whether you're going to get married or not completely to me? Marisha, would you be willing to live by faith, not to know where your money comes from? All these questions where it really was about security in my life. And I didn't know where this would lead to, but I just always said, yes. <laughs> yes, you have my heart, you have my life. And so he took me on this journey. And then a few weeks later, it all happened pretty quickly, gave me a dream and called me to move to Austin, Texas, <laughs> to America as a missionary. And He confirmed it in many ways and made it really clear to me. And I had to also know it very clearly because I knew it would change my whole life. I didn't know anyone in Texas. I had no connections. I've never lived in America. Everyone just told me, you know, with the visa and all, it's an impossibility. It's not going to work out. But I want to share with you this morning that Jesus really, truly only needs your yes and your surrender. And he will move mountains before you. And I experienced that in my own life. I experienced that just through my simple yes to Jesus, not knowing anything else, how he moved the mountains, how he made a way. And so I've been in Austin, Texas as a missionary now for five years. And I just want to say that it's such a privilege to be a missionary to America. You are such a blessing. You as Americans, your nation has been such a blessing to the world. You are amazing. We're so thankful for you. We really truly are I know that also, of course, a lot of bad things have come from America, but also so many good things, so many good things. And you carry treasures and gifts that no other nation carries. And we really need you. We really need you in the nations. We really need you and who you are, how God has made you in the kingdom. And so I want to just share that with you this morning and encourage you exactly also what Darren shared earlier. There is a divine calling on your life and you are made to live an exceptional life. And oftentimes, God's best for you has nothing to do with what you think is a good life. I experienced that myself. <laughs> it wasn't about surrendering bad things or sins or so. It was about surrendering the good so that he could give me his best. And I just want to share that with you this morning and encourage you. I think that God is calling people out this morning to give everything into his kingdom to live a really radically different life. As he said in his word in Luke, that if you want to preserve your life, then you will lose it. But if you will lose your life, then you will find it. And I want to share this with you and just encourage you with that, especially during this time right now where we think, oh, I need to take care of myself and my health and my family and all, which is understandable. But the call of God is a different one. He says, follow me and I will take care of the rest. And just looking at the last five years, I could tell you miracle story after miracle story of what God did. And he will do the same with you and through you if you give him your everything. So be encouraged. Love you guys. I know for some of you it might seem strange for missionaries to come to us because we're always the sending people. But uh, have you been to Gatorland? 
I took Marisha to Gatorland. We, we decided to take Marisha to Gatorland the other day. And after going to Gatorland, she now knows why. She's a missionary to America. If you've been to Gator, there's not a responsible adult that works in that park, I'm telling you. You walk away going, this nation needs Jesus. I can't, anyway, whole other, whole other world. You guys are going to hear from one of our other spiritual daughters, Bree, here in a little while. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. Uh, I, I feel like right now in, in this nation, it feels like every chance you have to get up in front of a crowd, and I've been doing this for 25 years, pastoring for 25 years, traveling and speaking for more than a decade, and, and right now it feels like every chance you have to get up and share the gospel in front of a crowd seems more and more of a rare occurrence. And it seems to, it seems to carry more and more weight which is why I really feel it's important to give voices that are burning with a passion for something an opportunity to do something that's becoming actually increasingly more rare. Um, for example, this morning, if your heart is burning for unity, then Tracy just reached in and just ignited something in you even more. You may want to go and have her lay hands on you. If, you're, if your heart is burning this morning to lay your life down for Christ and you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus then maybe you want to go and have Marisha lay her hands on you this morning and, and just release something over your what she's carrying. Now there's a call for intimacy with the heart of the Father, but the way that he actually ignites that within us is by connecting us with other people that are carrying something we need. See, the Holy Spirit's been given to you without measure, meaning everything pertaining to life and godliness you have access to. But oftentimes, those gifts and graces are unlocked through connections with people. Because God doesn't necessarily allow us a grace to stand alone, isolated, apart from everybody else. He has a high value for community and a high value for connection. So to you, it might seem like they have something I need. Well, actually, you have something in you that they've just ignited. And a connection and, and a, a unity together in the spirit will actually cause that treasure in you to come to the surface. Does that make sense? Right. So that's why you can't exist alone in the body of Christ. Forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together doesn't mean have conferences and do church once a week. It's a lot of people that have been hiding in crowds thinking that they're assembling themselves together. It's very different. The assembling of yourselves together means I connect with you, you connect with me, and we share the treasure in God that we have found. And when I get to know you more, I get to know him more. As my connection with you deepens, my intimacy with him grows. Why? Because there's a uniqueness to the grace that he's placed upon your life that I will not find in anybody else. And the more I get to know you, the clearer he becomes to me. The gifts and graces on your life reveal something to me about who he is in me. It's true. I feel like everybody's just thinking this morning. It's just like thinking deeply. Some of you are thinking, why am I wearing this mask? I like the masks. I know, I know the argument is that it's like blocking mosquitoes with a chain link fence, all right? I get it. But I'm in the store the other day and there's somebody behind me and they don't recognize me because I have a mask on. And I suddenly thought to myself, if this person recognized me, this would be 30 minutes to an hour of a theological debate that could ruin my whole day. Suddenly, my entire perspective on the mask thing just changed. I was like, I love this. This is awesome. The anonymity is priceless. John chapter 14, I want to take you to verse 16. Jesus says this. I'm going to pre just kind of preach just a little bit out of the scriptures here. Then I want to show you an illustration, and then we're going to talk at you a bit, and then we're going to see what God does in ministry time. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Everybody say forever. forever. Right. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him. Stop for a second. Why can't the world receive him? Because it doesn't see him. Why don't they see him? Tracy just quoted it to you earlier. John 17, Jesus prayed. 
Father, that the glory you've given to me, I give to them so that they may be one. Everybody say one. And here's how he defines one. He compares it with himself, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that they may be one just like we are. I in you, you in me, and I in them, and then he says this, perfected in unity. And he goes on to add this line, that the world may know that you sent me and love them just like you love me. Now think about this. How big of a deal is unity? It's a non-negotiable for the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, the world will remain blind to who he is if we continue to divide and separate. And it's been customary for us to ping each other, lob a theological grenade into the middle of a crowd and see whether or not you believe like me. Because if you believe like me, then maybe you can belong. But Jesus' methodology was very different. He looked at people who didn't even know what to believe and said, follow me. What? Yeah, come on, follow me. They drop everything. Matthew leaps over his tax collector's table, probably leaves a line of angry people waiting to give him, and he's just gone. And Peter, standing in a boat, maybe he owned, maybe he rented, who knows. With nets, he had mended a thousand times, weathered hands, drops everything, steps out of it, just to respond to a complete stranger giving some direction in life. Follow me. And these group of people, these people come together. They're not perfect by any means. They're blue-collar, average people from all different walks of life. One's a zealot. That would be a terrorist of his day. The tax collector nobody likes. The fisherman becomes the spokesman. The treasurer is ultimately going to betray him. I mean, not even Jesus could pick a good leadership team, which should give hope to every pastor on earth. And he knew every man's heart. What's he doing? Follow me, follow me, follow me. One person after another lays down their life, drops everything and moves toward him before they even knew what to believe. And then at one point he looks at him and says, behold, Luke 9, 1, Matthew 10, 1. Behold, in other words, check it out, guys. You've seen me do some stuff, right? I give you power and authority. Seriously? We can heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. The demons are subject to us. They still don't know what to believe. You guys realize this? Jesus gave power and authority to unbelievers. (laughs) Just ponder that a second. They don't know he's the son of God. They dropped everything to follow a complete stranger. Now you and I, let's say that we're the disciples and we're now following this total stranger and we just saw a lame guy get up and walk and a blind guy actually see. And the way he healed this guy was crazy. He like spit on the ground. He made mud out of it, slapped it on the guy's eyes and told him to go wash in a pool across town. Not like a real Christian way to do ministry, by the way. Tell the blind guy with mud on his eyes with the saliva of God dripping down his face, why don't you go find the right pool to wash in? Here's a mute guy who can't speak. Jesus isn't social distancing on this day. He spits on his fingers and touches the guy's tongue. I'd be thinking, yeah, I'm probably not going to add that to my ministry repertoire. And if we're following this guy, we're looking at him and we're going, okay, the guy who we're following has got some superpowers, man. Now, what's the biggest problem in my life? He's solving people's problems. What's my biggest problem? Hmm, ah, I live in an occupied nation being oppressed by a political superpower and I can't seem to do anything about it. 
They're tormenting us and torturing us and they tax us like crazy. And, and not only that, but the religious system that we're under, that we've been under for 1,300 years, is so corrupt, they're actually in cahoots with this political system. So I'm living under a corrupt religious system. I'm living under a corrupt political system. And, and, and this guy is raising the dead. So, I'm having conversations. Darren and I were part of the disciples. We're having conversations. Listen, raising the dead is fine and all, but think about what this guy could do. Yeah, Darren says, he talks a lot about like setting up a kingdom. Well, if he's setting up a kingdom, that means that another kingdom has got to go. Now we're super excited because the political party we don't like is now, ooh, this guy's taking it down. And when he takes it down and sets up his throne, he's only got one right and one left. Darren, you can sit on his right, I can sit on his left. But unfortunately, all of you people overhear us say that, so now it becomes a fight. Now we all start arguing over who's going to be the greatest among, you know, the disciples. Because, hey, we all have job security, but somebody's going to sit on the right and somebody's going to sit on the left. Jesus just keeps shaking his head. We can't figure out why. We've set up expectations based upon what we know he can do because he's raising the dead. Certainly he can overthrow the Romans. And he's going to have to to set up his kingdom. Why wouldn't we create these expectations? The problem is those very expectations became a roadblock, a hurdle, a wall through which they could not enter the truth of their destiny until it was completely destroyed. Doesn't matter how anointed you are, you can raise the dead, do great things for God, have an amazing ministry for God. If you have built up expectations about what your ministry is supposed to look like that don't line up with his, he'll destroy your expectations only to bring you into your destiny. So the expectations of the disciples absolutely get shattered at the cross. And when Jesus raises from the dead and appears in John 20 in the middle of a locked room to a bunch of guys who thought he was dead and then breathes on him and says, receive the Holy Spirit, now he sends these men out to change the world only when their one measure of success was his voice. Obedience to his voice, that's it. You understand, in Christianity, in this, in this faith that we have, the measure of success that we have is not whether or not you've led 10 million people to Christ. Have you heard the voice of the Lord and said yes? See, that's true discipleship. A believer says yes to Jesus, but then says, perhaps says no, the minute that yes is about to cost you something. A disciple says yes, and the minute that that yes is about to cost you something, you turn up the volume on your yes. Jesus wasn't interested in creating believers. He was interested in making disciples. And in America, we've made a business out of making believers. And now we wonder why we have no unity. Because we've not invested in building disciples whose yes actually cost them something. If God's doing anything in our day, he's destroying the idol of our certainty. We've made certainty an idol. Think of it. We, especially in the West here, we create security with a certain level of income on a job that we certainly hope we can invest our entire life in, take care of our families, and that's a noble cause. There's no doubt about it. But don't ever get to the point where you think it's certainty. Certainty is an illusion, always has been. And God is destroying the idol that we've made out of our certainty, thus our security, thus our safety. See, the minute our certainty goes away, our security and our safety follows, and now we all freak out. When in fact, the only certainty is the presence and the voice of the Lord. And just when you think you've gotten into a mode where I'm gonna be doing this for the rest of my life, God says, put your sandals on and follow me this way. Tracy and I have learned over a quarter century of marriage and ministry that there is no such thing 
as certainty by the world's standards. The only certainty is the kingdom of God and the presence of the Lord and the voice of the Lord. And he's incredibly unpredictable. Now, he's not doing this to us in terms of the pandemic. I don't believe God did this to us at all. God doesn't do that. You can't find that in the life of Christ. You don't see that in a picture of Jesus. Nobody comes to Jesus and says, hey, can you heal me? And Jesus goes, yeah, you know, this sickness is an infliction from my father to make you a better person. Jesus isn't going to give you sickness to make you like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus isn't sick. Can he use it? Absolutely. But don't ever think he authored it. Get it stuck in your, in your mind, your heart, your spirit. And I know Darren preaches this to you all the time. Get it stuck in your mind, heart, and spirit that the standards of heaven are ultimately the thing we pursue going after in earth. And there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no COVID-19 in heaven. I honestly think COVID-19, 19 is probably the amount of weight you gain during this whole thing. Well, I think it means at least. So... There's something, though, about this moment that we're standing in, though, that is absolutely huge because people are suddenly opening their ears again. The problem is they're opening their ears to all the voices on this level, this news station, that news station, this conspiracy theory, that person, this. And next thing you know, it's like, whoa, time out. Hey, let me ask you a question. What did Jesus know? Everything. He made everything. He knew the molecular structure of every tree and rock and and piece of ground that he was walking on. He knew it all. He knew men's hearts. He knew people's hearts, every person's hidden issues of their heart, how many hairs were on your head. He knew everything that was going on. And in his lifetime, he lived in a time where, you want to talk about conspiracy theories? He lived in a time where people were stabbing themselves in the back in the religious world and in the political world. And in the political world, it will ultimately result in the overthrow and the fall of Rome. He knows all of it. He knows everything. So then, knowing every conspiracy theory happening in the moment it's happening in, what does he choose to talk about? This is an important question. Many of you need to ask this question. Do I need to search for the works of darkness to make me feel smarter than everybody else around me? Do I need to have an idea of what the devil's activity is in the world to feel educated? No. Jesus knows everything. What does he choose to talk about? When he opens his mouth to speak, what does he release into the world? Guys, Check it out. There's this theory I got. Crazy, but does he say stuff to bring people into partnership with fear? No. Jesus gets out there and goes, have you considered the lilies? Check out the birds. The kingdom is like, and this is the phrase he he uses more than any other. The kingdom is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, oh, the kingdom is like. Jesus, excuse me, can you, you got some serious prophetic insight. What's up with the Romans right now? High priest, good guy, bad guy, what do we do? What's going on? Pontius Pilate. Not really sure whether he's decent or not. I mean, what do we do with this guy? What about all the taxation going on? And the kingdom is like, what does he do? Jesus isn't being passive. He's not being complacent. He's not burying his head in the sand. He's choosing to shift his perspective to another world. And he looks at everybody around him who's already partnered with a demonic spirit of fear. By the way, you'll know you've encountered the truth because it will set you free. And when you're partnered with fear, it doesn't mean that you're educated. You've just made an alliance with darkness and felt good about it. So if you're looking for something to repent from, that's a good one. Jesus elevates the conversation to lift everybody's perspective to the things of the kingdom. Well, now, if I'm paying attention to the kingdom, am I any earthly good down here? Because you've heard the phrase, especially in the South, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. 
But in Colossians, Paul said this, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. The only way to be any earthly good is to be heavenly minded. Romans 15, 19 reads like this, be excellent in what is good, be innocent of evil. What does that mean? Be experts in the goodness of God. What does be innocent of evil mean? It means don't give evil, don't give the works of darkness permission to have even one iota of influence in your heart. In other words, don't be impressed with the devil. And I'm seeing leaders, godly leaders who I respect that are using pulpit time and online ministry time to actually go, hey, have you seen what the devil's doing? And I'm like, when did we become a testimony machine for Satan? Be excellent in what is good. Be innocent of evil. But, but Bill, you don't understand. I, I want to find out the works of the devil so that I can crush him under my feet. Let me read the whole section of scripture to you in Romans 15, 19. It says, be excellent in what is good, be innocent of evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Here's how it works. There's a lot of junk going on in the world. There's a lot of darkness going on in the world. And it's true. You, you fixate your eyes on the things of the kingdom of God. You lift up your head for your redemption's drawing nigh. You shift your perspective to a whole other kingdom, and suddenly you realize there's something under your foot. You're like, it's under my feet. Whoa, devil, how'd you get under there? The works of darkness are dismantled by our focus on the kingdom of God. That's why worship and intimacy is so important right now. Worship is a big, big deal. The children of Israel went into battle with Judah going first because his name mean praise. The, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant into battle. So then we say, well, worship is warfare. It is if God's leading the charge. Can I tell you? I don't know how to articulate this. Let me, let me give it a shot. This might, this might not work, but let me give it a shot. I'm going to try to put language to something here. It doesn't matter how well you're familiar with the weapons of spiritual warfare. If God doesn't lead you into a battle, you're not licensed to start a conflict. God will wage war in his own time, in his own way, but you make sure that the ark's going before you. You make sure that he's leading you. Because if it's your idea, you're not going to do anything to bring, bring goodness to the, to the name of Jesus or the cause of Christ. Our spiritual battles that don't have Jesus at the head end up just boosting our spiritual ego. And we end up alienating the very people that we're supposed to be reaching and Jesus died for. I'm enjoying myself this morning. Tracy's looking at me like, you've never said a lot of this out loud. No, it's true. Okay, I will. Verse 17, John chapter 14. The spirit of truth the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Everybody say, in you. This is the mystery of the gospel. In Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Take a look in verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. After a little the while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Verse 20, this is the one I want to land on. John 14, 20. Everybody say 14, 20. This is to me the most mind-melting verse in the whole Bible. There's a lot of verses that absolutely blow my mind. But I can say definitively, after reading this book, studying this book upside down, backwards, forwards, in all original languages, I can tell you without a doubt, this is the verse that, that I still can't get over. Listen to what Jesus is about to say here. In that day, you will know, I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, this is a three-part story here that we need to know. The first thing is, in that day, where does that day mean? That day is when the coming of the Holy Spirit has happened, when the resurrection of Christ has taken place, meaning for us in the new covenant, that day is right now. How many of you are thankful for the new covenant? Yeah. New covenant's a big deal. 
me tell you just real quick, this right here, this is a, this is not a, people say, oh, this is a beautiful love letter from God to man. Well, there are things in here that tell me I can't eat bacon. And if you're telling me I can't eat bacon, I'm not feeling the love, all right? I get the metaphor and the poetry, that's sweet. But this is actually a record of God's covenants with man. Right? And the old covenant perspective of law versus the new covenant perspective of grace, there's a million analogies. Let me give you one I've actually never preached publicly in a setting like this. Uh, in the old covenant, Moses goes up to the mountain, he comes down, and, and he's got the tablets of law in his hands. You guys remember? He'd given an oral uh, dictation of what God was saying to do, but now God's actually going to put him down in Ten Commandments, Ten Declarations, essentially, of who you're not so that you can actually discover who you are. Another sermon for another time. So Moses comes down from the mountain. He's got the law in his hands, and the, the, the children of Israel are partying. They've broken the law, and Moses takes that law that's unconfined and unconcealed. It's out in the open. It's just been preached, and he smashes it. Why? Because in the hands of man put on display, the law will always be broken. And in that day, it's almost like the curses of that law roll over the children of Israel and 3,000 people died. Fast forward to the new covenant. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, stands up and preaches the gospel, the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. Hey, let me give you one quick question. How many people got saved on that day? 3,000. The very first time law was preached, the covenant of law was preached, 3,000 people died. The very first time the gospel of grace under the new covenant was preached, 3,000 people got saved. And think about the difference in the holiness level of these people. The people at the base of Mount Sinai, they just worshiped the golden calf and decided to have the party of all parties. The people on the day of Pentecost had crucified the Son of God. Who deserved death more? How many of you are thankful for the new covenant now? See, under the new covenant, you and I experience the goodness and the grace of God. And Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. Not to put the law on display so that people can break it and find death. Because that's what the law brings. But to put the goodness of the grace of God on display. To be living ambassadors of the new covenant revelation of the goodness of God. So that people suddenly get a revelation of what he's like and who he is. That's who we are. So he says, in that day, you will know I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So I want to do a simple illustration, because I've said a lot of words today. Let me just make this really simple, all right? Just give you a new covenant illustration of unity. And starting in Genesis, God makes man... In his image and likeness. The way God creates is that he creates these environments. He speaks to the substance of the environment he's created to produce life. So he makes fish by talking to water. He makes plants and animals by talking to the earth. Let the sea bring forth. Let the earth bring forth. When he makes man, he does something very different. He said, let us make man in our image. So he speaks to the environment of himself to make you. Which tells us where we draw our life from. God takes and picks up earth, mud, dust, dirt, clay to his face and goes like this, Yahweh, and breathes into it the breath of life. No other creation on earth is breathed into. It's all spoken over, but none ever, Yahweh, breathed into. The spirit of God and the, and the dust of earth collide. And man becomes a divine convergence zone between heaven and earth, born in a face-to-face -face encounter with God. That's where you and I were meant to live, in a face-to-face -face encounter with God. Man's very first, very first experience we ever have is opening our eyes to behold the face of a father who adores us. That's our first conscious experience. Man, God, 
made in the image and likeness. Image, by the way, is the attributes of God. Likeness is the representation of the attributes of God. Every human being out there carries the fingerprint of the image of God on them no matter what they believe. But it's only through the Holy Spirit and surrendering to let the Holy Spirit guide us, shape us, form us, and mold us that we know how to put the image of God on display as the likeness, right? So, help you understand that a little. Man and God have a beautiful, intimate relationship. One day, man turns from God, breaks God's covenant, breaks God's uh, command. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does God do? See, turn away from man and say, that's it, I'm done with you. No, 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 no. God goes like this and gets in man's face with a covenant. It's what he does. We're like, whoa, you still want relationship with us? Yes, I do. We're going to make a covenant. You interested? Man goes, yes, I am. And within a few generations, man goes like this again. So what does God do? He does this thing over and over and over. Oh my goodness, over and over again. Until finally, God goes, that's enough. This has been fun, but I'm so misrepresented, they don't even recognize me anymore. So... I'm going to step into their story. And so God comes to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, and he steps into our story looking just like our image, but putting on display the likeness of the Father. And we're like, whoa, who is this guy? This is amazing. Jesus says, follow me. And we do. We watch him do these amazing miracles, man, It should be amazing. We love it. It's great. But the more he puts the likeness of God on display and threatens our concepts of God, the less we like him. So what do we do with this amazing God who's healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out lepers? Do we embrace him? Do we love him? No. We kill him. We murder our own creator. But does he leave us like this? No. He actually takes us into the ground with him. Whether we like it or not, Galatians 2.20, you actually got crucified with Christ. You realize that? Before you were even born, you were crucified with Christ. He determined to take you with him on the cross. Ephesians 1.4, God chose you to be in him from even before the foundation of the world. So God wasn't reacting to our sin. He created the solution before the problem even arose. None of this is a surprise to God, which is why I can definitively tell you that God is not disappointed in you. I know some of you don't believe it, but when you do, it'll change your life. So what happens to Jesus? He doesn't stay in the ground. I I think it's interesting, by the way. The Bible says that Jesus Jesus actually went to hell and preached to the souls of men in prison, which is interesting to me. It's almost like, you know, Jesus is like one more ministry trip before the ascension here. (laughs) And yeah, I just think it's fascinating. Grace is so good. He raises us up to newness of life. He raises us up with him. But here's where we get mistaken now. We think it's only back to this. We think it's, oh, it's back to the garden. It's this. It's our face-to-face communion with God. And so we live trying to be like this. But there are times where the world starts pulling our attention. Things start pulling our attention away from the presence of the Lord. And so pretty soon we live with a God that, when we preach a lot of times, we preach a God that reminds me of an old Christmas song that I hate. By the way, it's my least favorite Christmas song in the whole world. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'll tell you why. Isn't that disturbing? <laughs> I hate that song. Has since I was a little kid. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Think about that. I mean, that's disturbing on every level. <laughs> Horrible. So what do we do? We try our best to somehow have a relationship with the Lord. We just, I want to get closer, I want to get closer, I want to get closer. What did we just read? John 14, 20. In that day, you will know, I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. This is new covenant. This is where you live. This is why we can have unity. 
Because unity is not uniformity. Unity is I and him and you and me and you and him and we're all actually one together. And he was never really interested in tweaking everybody's theology while he was here. He was just interested in intriguing us to his voice and, and drawing us to a place where we go, Lord, I'll do whatever you say. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And, and, and what do I do about my enemies? And Jesus goes, love your enemies. <laughs> what? Can you define that for me? Sure. You know the people who curse you? Bless them. You know the people who despitefully use you? Bless them. Pray for them. What? It's interesting what Jesus told us to do. The only way that we can do it is to realize that this is the posture of our life now. This is where we live in this place of unity with Christ. Unity is not uniformity where you have to believe like everybody else around you. See, from Jesus' vantage point, he looks at the disciples who so badly wanted to belong to something, and he says, come follow me. You belong. And one ministry trip, they come back, and they say, Jesus, the demons are subject to us. And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, I saw lightning fall from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Don't be impressed by that. Here's something to rejoice over. Your names are already written in heaven. Do you understand what he just said to them? It's theologically something that most of us, I don't think, really even can wrap our heads around. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't shed his blood. They hadn't even prayed the prayer we made up. And Jesus looks at these disciples who are not even sure of what to believe, but they've already started their ministry. He does everything super backward. And he goes, I'll give you something to be happy about. Your names are written in heaven. What was he saying to them? You guys don't even know what to believe yet. But from my vantage point, you already belong. And if you'll stick with me, you'll figure out what to believe eventually. If you listen to my voice, eventually you'll know what to believe. He's more interested in making disciples than he is in getting us to check a box as believers. Because it's disciples that will change the world. Now, some of us, I think we have a hard time with the way things are right now in the world because we, <clears throat> we don't know what to do to reach people with the gospel if we don't have a church to bring them to. Until you begin to realize as long as you've got a voice and you've got an influence in one, two, three, four, ten, ten thousand people's lives, the gospel can never be silenced. God has dismantled, allowed to be dismantled, all of our programs and all of the things that we have actually re, re, uh, found ourselves uh, relying on as the body of Christ. All the programs are gone, and, and thankfully we can actually come back into a building and, and gather now, but the buildings that we gather in, doesn't matter if it's the living room or your car or whatever, we have the tools to actually put the gospel on display as a studio to the entire world, no matter where it is, but we have for so long relied upon our locations and our programs and I think what God has done is he's allowed all of the things that we have over-relied on to reach the world with the gospel to be stripped away so that we realize the most important things are the things that have always been, which is the power of the message of the gospel itself and the fire of the Holy Ghost behind it. We've been reduced to what the early church had. But now, for the first time in history, we have the technology to take it to the whole world from your phone. It's not a day anymore to rely upon the professionals to reach all the people you know. It's a day to hear the voice of the Lord, to pick up your phone, to get on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, whatever, and put your voice out there and tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. How do I do that, Bill? What do I do? Get your eyes off of the religious and political system of everything going on down here and elevate their perspective to see the kingdom of God. And whenever you elevate perspective to see the kingdom of God, you're in a sense with your very life saying, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. And I think we have an amazing opportunity to touch the world from right where we are like never before. 
I'm going to invite Bree to come. She, I said this morning, Esther said, you got anything? And she goes, yeah, God gave me something for this church today. And uh, anytime she's ever said this, I know it's true. So. Good morning. Um, well, guys, I just first want to say I have loved being here this morning. Uh, whenever I walk into a new community, I ask God, like, what am I feeling in the room? And I just feel so much faith and hunger in this house. So I know you guys haven't been able to gather like continually, but um, I just see like people who are hanging on the voice of the Lord, people who love his presence here. And I wanted to honor that. Um, I went to sleep last night praying for you guys just for what God would impart today. And early this morning, I had this dream where I left my hotel room because I wanted to go to the beach and watch the sunrise. And I walked downstairs while it was still dark. I was standing in a parking lot. And there were all these people around me. They had also come to see the sunrise. But it was gloomy outside. It was rainy. And they began to talk amongst themselves saying, it's not going to rise today. It's just going to be overcast. So all these people went back into the hotel to go to sleep. And I thought, no, like, I'm going to go to the beach and I'm going to look for light. And so I just went to the beach. And when I got there, there was one other girl on the beach. She's a friend of mine. Her name is Joy. And I was standing in the darkness with Joy watching for the sun to rise. And I had, um, it was like I, I was carrying a rock or something in my hand, but it was really just like this big hunk of sand. And as the light cracked open and the sunrise actually came, though it was unexpected, um, all this sand just started dissolving in my hands. And I just felt it was a word for this house, for this region. Like so many of us have just been aware of overcast skies and what is stirring around our nation right now. And we've, we've had crowds talk to one another on social media and, and exult what's not happening. And there's been so much disappointment and lost expectations. I think that's what the sand was that was dissolving in my hands. But there's people right now that God is marking who will say, no, I'm a prisoner of hope and I will go look for light and I will go stand with joy and darkness waiting for something to break open. And in a house of faith and love, I feel like there are people here who are those that are standing with me on the beach. Though I couldn't see them, I knew there were others around me. And so for everyone watching right now, I just want to release to all of you, if you have felt disappointment, if, you, if there are things crumbling in your hands, those expectations, if you will be one who says, no, like I will believe that God works all things for good, for those who love him, for who, the, who are called according to his purpose, like there will be a breakthrough. There will be a light coming upon you. There will be healing in the wings of the son of righteousness. So right now I just prophesy, Lord, I thank you for your joy. I thank you for faith and hope and that you're raising up and marking a people for yourself who believe in your goodness, who believe for light in the midst of darkness. When other people do not see breakthrough coming, they do and they go. So Lord, thank you for that being here in the house. You don't have to reach for it. It's already in the room. And so God, I thank you that in union with you, it's being infused into us now. And I thank you for your boldness and your love that is marking your body again. In Jesus' name. If God, if, amen, stay, stay with me. If God is breaking fear off you, feel like fear is being broken off and replaced with faith today, would you stand to your feet this morning? Just all over the place. I just want to pray for you that fear would just, that you would be a person that is break, a breaker of fear off others. Yeah. You know why you're alive? You're here to break fear off of people. Go ahead and get on your feet. Father, I pray right now that there would just be a release of an anointing to break fear off people. God, that you give us kingdom perspective and kingdom eyes. God, that we would be fueled by that strength of joy. We would be fueled by that strength of joy. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Would you say that word, that word, that I love we sang that song. Just say Yahweh, Yahweh. Jesus, we love you. Yeshua, we love you. Just say Yeshua, Yeshua, we love you. Yeshua, we love you. Can we, can we do that again? That was kind of cool. Let's, 
Yeah, let's like end on this today. Go ahead and everybody stand with me this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the healing that's coming to this house today. For healing, not just for this house, but every person watching online today. That this is a moment where healing is rolling over you. I'm not talking about a psychosomatic adrenaline rush where pain goes away. I'm talking about cancerous cells being made whole and normal. I'm talking about things broken in your body being set right. And you're feeling, some of you right now are feeling the fire of God on your body, your physical body right now. The Bible says, for this person's purpose was the Son of God manifest that you might destroy the works of the devil. And right now, some attack of infirmity that's taken your body captive. Chains are being broken right now. So we're going to believe for amazing test- testimonies coming from this. You're watching online. Put a, a comment under here. If you're feeling the fire of God in your hands, lay your hand on your body. If you're sitting next to somebody who's got a disease and affliction in their body and you feel the fire of God on you, or you're just feeling a passion stirring and you reach over, begin to lay hands on them and just release the grace of a heaven to come in and displace all of that, that sickness and disease. We're believing for a wave of healing to touch our nation, right? We believe for that this morning. Would you stretch your hands out today? Father, I just pray for a wave of healing to touch our nation today. And may it begin right here. God, would you ignite the fire of the Holy Ghost in these hands today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just sing worship together and just lift up his name this morning. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.